My name is Julie Turney, and this is HR Sound Off, the show created for HR and business professionals to discuss pertinent HR topics. But ultimately, we will be settling some of the many misconceptions that people have about the human resources profession. Some weeks you will hear from my guests, and other times it will be just you and me in the sound booth. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's sound off. So hello everyone and welcome to the sound booth today. Today we are discussing a very interesting topic. As you know me, I like disruption. And so today the topic that we are discussing is why HR needs to change. Because we are at a very pivotal time in history. And if there's one thing that we recognize as HR professionals is that we definitely need to do things differently. So I figured I need to have this conversation with someone who is just as disruptive as I am, if not more. So our guest today actually has a company called Disruptive HR. What are the chances of that? (laughs) And she wrote a book called Disruptive HR. What are the chances of that? So, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I am going to introduce to you Lucy Adams. Lucy has an extensive history in HR, which I am not going to talk about because she's going to talk about her journey. But I do know that one of the companies that Lucy used to work with was the BBC. And if you are from the UK, you know what I'm talking about. Even if you're not from the UK, you should know what I'm talking about. And the BBC is not a little company. It's a very big one. And so today we're going to talk to Lucy about why HR needs to change. What is disruptive HR? How can HR professionals get disruptive? And we're going to learn about Lucy some more. So ladies and gentlemen, help me welcome Lucy Adams. Lucy, good day to you. How are you? Hello, Julie. How are you doing? I am doing all right. How are you? Oh, I'm really good. Yeah, really good. I'm here in London and it's a beautiful sunny day here. Um, So fortunately, uh, I've got a garden, which is not typical in London. A lot of people obviously live in flats, but I'm very lucky. We've Mm -hmm. got a tiny little garden size of a postage stamp, but there's enough (laughs) to get into. Oh, that must be great. And it's been a really great, great time to um, see the sun appear after all the rain yeah. and the coldness. So thank you for having, thank you for coming on today and having this discussion with me. Um, the first question that I am going to ask you, common question that I ask everyone, tell us about your story, your journey. How did you get here? How did you get into HR? Right. Well, uh, I'll try and keep it uh, the slightly edited version because obviously I'm quite old now, so this could go on for some time. Um, I so, never, I um, never asked you to declare your age. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I never wanted to go into HR. I'm not sure anybody really does. You know, I don't think we, as little kids, sort of sit there and when we're asked what we want to do when we grow up, we don't say, "Oh, I want to be an HR director." That's right. Um, I came into HR through a variety of routes. You know, kind of stuff like change management, um, training, teaching, 
um, consultancy, a whole raft of stuff. And uh, and I was working with a big organization when my one of my leaders said to me, oh, I'd like you to take on the role of, um, of HR. And, and I remember talking to another leader and they said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a it's a career cul-de-sac. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I was like, oh, OK. But anyway, I ended up doing it. And, and pretty much my entire adult career has been sent, spent in, in HR roles. And, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, some fairly large organizations. I mean, Serco, where I was mm-hmm. for 10 years, that was around 60,000 people, global. Yeah. Uh, the BBC was I was where I was for five years. Again, large organization, very high profile. Yeah. And I had, so I'd come from a non-traditional HR background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that always gave me a slightly different view because I didn't grow up in the traditional kind of administra- administration, transactional, then process, BP, right. Right. Uh, then into HR. I kind of went almost straight into fairly kind yeah. of more strategic yeah. roles. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that was a help for me, really, because it, it, it helped me to understand things from a non-HR perspective. Okay. Um, at the BBC, we were going through significant change. I mean, in the five years that I was there, we had obviously, you know, massive disruptions to the way mm-hmm. that media is consumed. Yeah. You just yeah. think about, you know, from a personal perspective, how you watch video now or how you watch, how you listen to audio, yeah. um, the role of catch-up TV, mm-hmm. uh, you know, huge transformation in, in as a result of digital technology, mm-hmm. new competitors coming into the market. Mm-hmm. We had had big financial challenges so needing to obviously be much more productive save money yeah. we had the need to collaborate far more because the normal <clears throat> geographical or departmental boundaries didn't make as much sense anymore as a result right. of digital and and audience or customer expectations mm-hmm. and then we had the, the normal changing expectations of employees that everybody has had over the last few years and and I just got to a place as an HR director, that I could no longer reconcile what I was offering, uh-huh. this very traditional 1980s, 1990s style of HR management that most of us are, are in, where I was still offering processes like uh-huh. performance management or the annual talent review or the uh-huh. annual engagement survey. Uh-huh. I just really got to a place where I just thought, this just doesn't work. Yeah. You know, our, the needs of our employees, the needs of our organization, the needs of our leaders are so wildly different to help them cope with the need mm-hmm. for greater agility, collaboration, innovation, productivity. And, and this HR manual that I've been looking at, you know, yes. the, the kind of accepted wisdom of what great HR practice looks like, mm-hmm. I couldn't reconcile that anymore. Right. So myself, my business partner, Karen Moran, so we've um, known each other for a long time and we've shared these views for a long time. Mm-hmm. We had a long lunch in the centre of London, a place called Covent Garden, and we sat there over a very long lunch, uh, oh, six years ago now, and we said, right. is it possible to do it differently? You know, is the HR profession so irrelevant now that, you know, it's just going to gradually fade away, or is there something that that could be really different Mm -hmm. and so that really was the start of it and we then started to we spent about a year looking at how organizations were doing it and to be honest I thought that all I needed to do was to go to Silicon Valley talk to a few tech companies and I'd have the answers actually when I looked at it 
a lot of the stuff they were doing was as traditional as some of the, some of the more uh, legacy businesses. Right. So we started then looking at other disciplines, other industries, other functions. We started looking at psychology. We started looking at marketing, mm-hmm. particularly consumer marketing. We started looking at agile product design methodologies, mm-hmm. advertising agencies. We started to look at where where have you got a group of people, a function that are changing the perceptions, are engaging people and doing it differently. And, and as a result, we arrived at a model that we believe is fundamentally different. Mm-hmm. And w- what we've since done over the last few years, we now work with HR professional leaders all over the world to help them not just think differently, but right. do stuff differently, you know, because there's lots of consultancies out there with their nice, neat PowerPoint slides and their great yeah. diagrams and their models. But actually mm-hmm. what we wanted was practical stuff yeah. that HR professionals could do. And, and, Mm-hmm. And so it's been it's been the most amazing five years of running the business. You know, we right. we can't believe what we get to do now, the clients that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we love it. We love it because when you work with a group of HR people and you see that light going on where they realize that actually not only has what they've been doing and following for the last 20 years or 10 years of their career uh-huh. perhaps has never worked yeah. but actually there are some options for doing this radically differently that isn't going to cost a huge amount that isn't actually about a big new system mm-hmm. but they can begin to change things mm-hmm. quite quickly yeah um, that's really exciting absolutely i can see the light go off in your eyes <laughs> unfortunately for our audience they can just hear it but it's just as infectious as it is when you look at it um, well, it, it, it does. It really excites me. You know, it gives me real energy. And, you know, I, I was so tired in HR and a lot of the HR professionals that I meet, they're tired. Yes. They are worn down mm-hmm. with trying to push these processes of being seen as the, the nursemaid or the police officer, compliance yes. officer. Yeah. And they want to do it differently. They didn't come into HR to to do be as transactional as they are. They didn't mm-hmm. come into HR to to write processes and make people follow them. They came into HR because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to help people grow, develop, to improve the business. Yes. And, and somehow it's never, you know, it, it, they're, they're tired. They're really tired. Absolutely. And, um, and, you know, we believe and we see the results that, mm-hmm. that actually working in these different new ways can, can release their energy and their passion for a profession that they'd, they'd lost it, you know, yeah. they'd lost that passion. Absolutely. And I think that that's one of the reasons why we connected so well when we first met, because we both recognize the importance for this change in the profession. And I I could not agree with you more when you said that HR professionals are tired, because they really are. Um, Because when you think of what HR could be, the potential it has to really make a huge impact in an organization, but you're stuck and to the confines of the box. Yeah. that is created by people who don't understand your purpose. It really can be very frustrating. And we like to talk about kind of HR being in its third phase of evolution. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about the first phase when HR was first thought of and personnel mm-hmm. managers started to come yes. in and it was that was kind of, you know, you're there to support the employees. You know, mm-hmm. you're there to do stuff for them, help them do stuff, answer their queries. Uh, get them paid, uh, yep. you know, come back looking after that very 
maternal or paternalistic role. Mm -hmm. And then the next phase, you know, we were all, all told that we're now strategic business partners. Right. And so almost forget the employees. You're now doing the work of, of the leadership team and you mm -hmm. are you were driving the strategy and that really then aligned us to our business leaders. Right. And that was great because we got put on the board or we got into the senior leadership team. Mm -hmm. But but in the end, what we were doing was putting in place processes that served the needs of leaders and the organization. But mm -hmm. um, but but I think we're in our in our third evolution now, which is that we are creating the conditions where people can do their best work. Yeah. And I think even just changing our mindset, we're not there to do the leaders bidding or the employees bidding. No. We are there to create the conditions. Yeah. And sometimes that means working with groups of employees. Sometimes mm -hmm. that means working with groups of leaders. Sometimes yeah. that means working with other functions. Oh. Mm -hmm. but, but ultimately, we are the people experts and we're there to create the conditions in which they can thrive. And I think that's a mindset that we've perhaps not had for some time. I absolutely believe, Lucy, that you have, what you've just said sums up the real purpose, the full purpose of what it is that we do as HR professionals. And I could not think of a better way to define it than what you just said. But that takes me into my next um, question to you. So you wrote this book, Disruptive HR, and you talk about disruptive HR being built based on three pillars. Yeah. Could you please walk our audience through those three pillars? Because I think that they pretty much blend back into what you just defined as what HR needs to be now. Great. And, um, and again, I'll try and do this as briefly as I can. Mm -hmm. But if people are interested in exploring this in more detail, mm -hmm. there's loads of free blogs and resources on the website, disruptivehr.com. We're going to so direct can... the people to where they need to Great. go to so find they can you, pick up where they more need to go to get now. your book. Everything. Oh, fantastic. We're going to go but, there. Um, uh, you know, obviously, right now, people are looking for free stuff. So there's there's mm -hmm. plenty of free stuff on there. Mm -hmm. um, so the three pillars um, is summed up what uh, we describe the each model. All right. Yeah. So the each model stands for employees as adults, consumers and human beings each in adults, consumers and human beings. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll touch on them briefly. And yes. Um, obviously, the reason we, we describe it this way is, is to align it to the needs of a disrupted world. And of course, mm -hmm. we're going through the biggest disruption that the world has ever been through, mm -hmm. certainly in our lifetime. Absolutely. But, um, but we believe that you know, they are as relevant, if not more relevant, uh, mm -hmm. for the future uh, mm -hmm. and right now than they, than they were, even when we were in a disrupted world before, yes. which of course now seems really boring and stable. <laughs> Um, so um, let's look at this first one then. So employees as adults, and I touched on this a bit earlier, you know, I think mm -hmm. we've, the, the starting point for most organizations is that employees are almost like children mm -hmm. and we must support them because they're not capable of using their own judgment. So we spoon feed them, we do stuff for them. We think, you know, have uh, uh, lots of rules and policies that give them real clear guidance because they're not capable of of ambiguity or using their own judgment clearly. Right. So, um, and then the next uh, parenting we do currently is the critical parent, which is all about rules, processes mm -hmm. that are about 
saying we don't trust you to behave very well so we're going to make sure that we put in place place rules and processes mm -hmm. that prevent you from behaving badly, badly. Mm -hmm. now of course the reality is that that um the vast majority of people are, are really capable of using their own judgment Absolutely. they're really capable of behaving well and actually yes. want to behave well and decently mm -hmm. Um, but what we do is we design around the lowest common denominator. Mm -hmm. So we talk about an adult-to-adult -adult approach, which looks in practice like um, changes to rules and policies. So instead, let me give you an example. Instead of, um, you know, our dress codes, you know, uh -huh. you can wear this, you can't wear that. Right. Uh, you can wear jeans, but not with a rip in it. You can mm -hmm. wear sandals, but not flip-flops. I mean, you know, just yes. the minutiae. Instead, we're seeing uh, language being used by companies like uh, Legal and General here in the UK, mm -hmm. dress for your day, mm -hmm. dress for your day. Yeah. There's no prescription in there. There's no detail in there. There's just an understanding and an assumption that you know what that looks like as a grown up. Yeah. Um, it's uh, social media policies. Mm -hmm. um, now, most people's social media policies uh, are terrifying. Yes. You know, they, they're going to prevent anyone going anywhere near social media because mm -hmm. we were nervous about what a small percentage might do. Right. But actually, right now, we need people to be going onto social media and talking yeah. about our company because employee advocacy is the best possible uh, marketing you can get. So yeah. um, if you look at Intel, Ford, uh, mm -hmm. Gap, their social media policies are very, very light touch. They say things like um, play nice, Mm -hmm. um, use common sense. Yeah. If you mess up, apologize, take it down. Yeah. So adult to adult is about redesigning your employee handbook in a way that is a marketing document, a welcoming document that has an mm -hmm. assumption that you know how to behave and you're capable of using your judgment. It's not just policy though. So adult to adult is also about the processes that we yeah. use. And most of our processes are designed because we don't trust managers to manage. Mm -hmm. We don't trust people to do it. So we put in place processes that we mm -hmm. then need to document because how will we know if they've done it? Yes. It's all about providing the process to them. If you just think about onboarding, mm -hmm. you know, HR does onboarding to people. Mm -hmm. We take them in, we give them stuff, we make them sit in a room and watch PowerPoint slides some poor HR person delivering it for the third time that week and still trying to pretend they're enthusiastic about it. <laughs> whereas, whereas actually what we're seeing adult to adult is a move away from that and saying, you know what, here's some information that we want you to digest. Here's some people we want you to meet. Here's some yes. places we want you to visit. You do it in your own time, yes. in a way that's right for you as a mm -hmm. grown-up, because mm -hmm. you know how you learn, you know what's right for you. Yes. But we'll check. It's not a it's not a hippie commune. It's not anarchy. We were going right. to check. Yes. But ultimately, it's for you to own it. So that's the adult-adult piece. And we mm -hmm. know that when you create an adult-to-adult -adult environment, if you just have to look at the research that's there about providing a level of autonomy, um, great book by uh, Paul Zak called The Moral Molecule that creates, mm -hmm. it provides the research around this. If you provide an adult to adult environment, people are more able to cope with change. They behave in a more trustworthy way. They're more agile. They're more innovative. They're happier. Um, you just have to look at what's going on right now with people having to be trusted. Yes. You know, we're seeing a change already. You know, engagement levels are, mm -hmm. in some cases, higher than they higher than ever. Absolutely, and productivity, uh, and productivity too. So, yes. you know, that I think you know, we, it'll be very hard for us to go back to a place where we say we don't trust you to work from home. Yeah, we don't trust you 
to run your own performance management because, mm-hmm. um, you know, how would we know whether you've mm-hmm. done it? Well, we don't know now, and yet actually engagement and productivity is higher. So higher than ever. Mm-hmm. Adult to adult. The consumer piece, and I'll speed up a bit because I'm conscious of time, but the consumer piece is a recognition that in our human lives, outside work, we, are, we, we expect a level of customization around me as an individual. Mm-hmm. My needs, my wants, my preferences, my motivations. And yet when we go into a workplace, we're expected to um, take one size fits all and just suck it up. Yeah. Now, I think we are, as an HR profession, we're wasting so much time, energy, resource, putting in place these universal one-size-fits-all processes and expecting them to be relevant for everybody. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that employees are all different. They have different needs, wants, likes, preferences, etc. So exactly. we're seeing gradually this consumerization of the workplace, consumerization of HR. Yes. And that looks like um, changes to... Uh, providing more choice in reward or the uh, the way that we do talent management. Starbucks did something great here where they, they said, you know, we're not just going to provide one form of learning or, or career development because you've all got very different needs. So they did an exercise using clusters of employees that were a particular type mm-hmm. or a persona, an employee persona, yes. and they designed different options around that. Mm-hmm. Um, we see it also in the way that we're equip- um, some organizations are equipping managers to be able to adapt and tailor their style of leadership right. to the needs of that individual. So mm-hmm. Wipro did this, um, Indian out- business outsourcing organization, they did a problem solving exercise uh, during onboarding and they shared the results with managers. Mm-hmm. And so that if I'm a manager, I've now got some insights about the person who's joining my team. And I know that this person tends to need a lot more handholding and supervision. So I'm going to give them a bit more time. That person mm-hmm. learns through other people. So I'm going to make sure they've got a buddy. And this person, they uh, just like to be left alone to get on with it and doing it through trial and error. So right. I'm just going to give them a bit of space and I'm going to check in with them at a later stage. Wipro mm-hmm. saw their turnover reduced by 33% in six months. Wow. Taking a different approach to help a customized yes. consumer-based approach. So consumerization, again, this is a much longer topic, but mm-hmm. um, there are lots of things that we can learn from consumer marketing to help us right. um, identify how do we know what their needs are, how do we tailor, customize what we do? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final one, human, is, um, you know, I think it's a real indictment that HR has been the process experts for so long, yeah. not people experts. Yes. You know, we should be the people experts. And if we were, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't design the processes that we design because the things that we've come up with, whether it be a bonus scheme or a performance management scheme or a training and development uh, workshop program mm-hmm. or our approaches to diversity and inclusion and I could go on we wouldn't have designed our processes that way because the processes we've come up with are more about compensating for poor managers and making them do stuff yeah. rather than thinking about how human beings behave are motivated learn mm-hmm. um are encouraged to change their behaviors and deploying that understanding in our processes. So yes. we're beginning to see some stuff. We just have to think about reward. You know, we put most of our efforts into the bonus scheme. And mm-hmm. yet, actually, we know that if people who are getting small, tailored recognitions, little and often eight times more engaged. So we're yes. seeing 
moves to gifts, peer-to-peer rewards, spot yeah. rewards by managers. Yeah. We're seeing changes to performance management because we know that our current approach to performance management with an annual review and objectives being set at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. and then reviewed at the end of the year and giving someone a rating does not improve performance one iota little conversations little check-ins with managers asking questions rather than judging and assessing Mm -hmm. um done on 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 the basis of when the employee needs it when they ask for it rather than a set time in the year Mm -hmm. we see real changes to performance real performance improvements so you know the exciting thing for me julie is right now all of those processes that we've been banging on about that are that everybody you know we believe that no one could live without yeah you know guess what they're all living without it they're all managing Mm -hmm. um no one's screaming please bring the annual talent review back you know (laughs) so we have a time now yeah to look at what this new normal what this what the better normal is going to look like and and i think if we were we need to be brave. We need to go further than we're comfortable right now with saying, mm-hmm. what can we stop? What do we? What can we just stop doing? Because yeah. actually no one's screaming for it. No. And how could we revisit our processes designed around the human being? So mm-hmm. I'm sorry, that's a hugely long-winded uh, approach. No, for that. But hopefully it's given your, given your listeners, you know, a, a bit of insight into the, into the each model. Uh, and as I say, mm-hmm. there's always more stuff out there if they're interested. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. As a matter of fact, I feel like um, we may need to have a few more discussions <laughs> somewhere down the road. Lot, there's a lot to cover. There's a lot I know. To I know. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see what HR professionals do now coming out of COVID-19. And it's such a it's such a sad time, but it's also such a pivotal time for us, especially in HR. And I keep hearing some people say, you know, now is the time for HR to be the heroes that they're supposed to be and show up for their people. Absolutely right. If we don't take this opportunity, then it is a massive, a massive loss. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there is, there is so much up for grabs at the moment. And I think it is a time when we can be more radical than we've ever been, that we can be um, more energized by what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it's, there is no best practice out there about what the new normal looks like. No. You know, it will come, mm-hmm. but actually, why do we want to follow that? Why don't we want, as in our own organizations, to take this opportunity to articulate what this better normal looks like? Absolutely. And to... to, to just because no one knows. So why wouldn't we be the ones to articulate that and to make that happen? Yes, absolutely. We are the champions of change, but we can be the heroes of something really amazing if we just take the time to think about where we are in this stream of time. Absolutely. I, I really do appreciate you sharing that. So no let problem. me ask you this. <laughs> what are you reading, listening to, watching right now that you think other HR professionals could be reading, watching, or listening right now? Well, I'm, I'm really bad at actually listening to uh, HR stuff. You know, right. I, 
I think that um, there, I obviously, you know, we have researchers that work with us that mm -hmm. uh, are looking all the time at what the, the best resources are out there. So mm -hmm. um, I tend to uh, read uh, the odd article or listen to the odd podcast. But if I'm perfectly honest, where I'm getting my inspiration from right now is I'm listening to a lot of uh, podcasts about that are, are historical podcasts about, for example, I'm listening to one called Presidential, uh -huh. which is uh, something by the Washington Post. And what that is, is a, it's um, and each episode looks at uh, a different president. Okay. So obviously there's, there's 45 of them. Right. So <laughs> I'm working my way through. Um, but what's fascinating about it is that it looks at leadership, really. Right. That's what it is. It's a mm -hmm. leadership podcast. And of course, you are looking at contextual leadership because each president has a different set of crises and challenges to manage. Right. Um, but you also then have their own personal circumstances, their personal approach and mm -hmm. how much of their the human do they bring to that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and how that shapes the way that they communicate, the way that they're able to influence Congress and so on, mm -hmm. um, how they're perceived, their legacy. Yes. So I'm actually getting a huge amount of inspiration from looking back at, at, at sort of history and mm -hmm. in particular um, leaders in history and how yeah. they tackle different things. So, so I could give you a long list of kind of academic pieces that I'm right. reading on McKinsey or Josh Burson who were always good value. Mm -hmm. But um, actually, I think the most inspiring thing for me and, and I would urge HR listeners to do is, is to look outside of our yeah. own subject matter. Mm -hmm. Because it may be that if you read a book on advertising or marketing or mm -hmm. psychology or read other leadership books, you will you will get um, something that's different and fresh for your thinking. Absolutely. I, I think um, that makes perfect sense because as HR professionals, we can delve into information at any point in time that's HR related. But if we look at the stuff that's outside, it helps us to connect the dots. Absolutely. So like, so like for me, I love to listen to comedy, yeah. radio comedy, because that yeah. helps me to contextualize stuff. So... I actually love to listen to the archers. Oh, do you? I do. Well, because I don't, but my business partner and co-founder, she's an mm -hmm. archers addict. You know, I love but... the archers to the point <laughs> that I will go back to an archers omnibus. Because what I like about the archers is that it not only gives you an idea of what farming looks like what farming in the future looks like but it also helps me to think about what jobs in the future will look like it makes me think about what will be needed in the future in terms of certain roles yeah um, but I also I'm getting a very good understanding of agriculture but just <laughs> the, the, the entire family dynamic of those people and how they operate and in terms of you get leadership you get a little bit of performance yeah. management you get a yeah. little bit of bad management There's, so for me, like I relate to like real like things yeah. like that that really helped me as well. And I think I, you know what we were saying earlier is that actually if we are going to assert or reassert our role and our position and our our mission as being the people experts, mm -hmm. helping people to perform at their very best to create the those conditions, are we going to find that in a traditional HR manual or mm -hmm. or an article about HR? I think we're going to find it in other sources. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the best thing we can do in some instances is maybe stop 
reading so much about HR and start mm-hmm. reading and listening to to other stuff. Yes, so that we can really get around that. And the other one that I love listening to recently is Plumhouse. Oh, Just I don't know that. Oh, so again, it's on the BBC. <laughs> um, <laughs> But Plumhouse is just about this um, this museum that is run somewhere out in the countryside by this mismatch of people, and it just takes you to a host of there's a radical person who just does whatever he feels like, who reminds me a lot of like the worst employee you could possibly have. Yeah, that just feels he could get away with everything. Yeah, And then there's this poor manager who's just trying to manage all of these crazy people <laughs> who are just doing their own thing from the maid to the maintenance man. It's yeah. So oh, I'll have to look at it. I'll have to dig it out. Yeah, Plumhouse. It is hilarious. Plumhouse. You'll give that a listen. There's so many HR nuggets in that show. As you listen to it, you're like, hmm, from an HR perspective, no, I wouldn't have done that or I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> but it's is very interesting for sure. And I think part of the reason why I like it so much is, as you said before, sometimes we start at the bottom and we think about the worst thing an employee could do. Yeah, and we and work then, back from there. And then we work back from there. But I just love the dynamic of it. It truly is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a listen, Plumhouse. I will. So I want you to tell us, what is the one misconception about HR that really bothers you that you want to set the record straight on? Oh, God, that's a really tough question. The misconception. I think that my biggest bugbear is when leaders have said to me that HR is the conscience of the organization. Mm. Um, and you often hear this, don't you? You know, that it's HR's role at the board table to keep the organization um, honest, mm-hmm. to keep it, it true to its values. Mm-hmm. And I just think that is such an abdication of leadership. Mm-hmm. And whenever I've been told I've, I'm the conscience of the organization, I've really pushed back because um, as a leadership team, you mm-hmm. have a collective responsibility to ensure that the organization is leading in a way that is true to its values, that it's making decisions, that is that is uh, based around, you know, it's the right choice, it's the moral choice. It's yes. um, And the, I think the idea that that HR is somehow this, this kind of the, the lone voice in the corner that is the voice of values and morals and, mm-hmm. um, and ethics, I just think he's just so wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I think that would be the one that, that leapt out at me when, when you said it. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, I think, you know, the general misconception that HR's role is to actually manage people, yes. um, you know, to have those difficult conversations, to, mm-hmm. um, to provide the feedback, to, you know, ultimately it's not HR's role to manage their teams. No. Um, it's a it's a relationship between two individuals and you know a manager and and, and their employee and mm-hmm. and HR of course can play some kind of mediation role of course it can look at things that might be getting in the way it can help with mm-hmm. team dynamics it can provide a coaching role but at the point where a leader is asking HR to to uh, you know have that conversation yeah because they're too scared or because they feel inadequate yeah. I think and and then when we do it because mm-hmm. quite often we then do it because we think we're being helpful mm-hmm. I think we we do we do everybody a disservice including ourselves thank you so much for sharing that information my tell, pleasure tell our people 
where they can find you on social media? Sure. So uh, we're all over social media. You know, we are. <laughs> we are just. You know, where not to find us will be the quicker answer. But so uh, they can connect with me on LinkedIn, Lucy mm-hmm. Adams. They can. Uh, obviously, we're on Facebook and Twitter and so on. And right. um, but I would suggest start with the website. You know, yeah. because I, there's a lot of resources on there. And if your listeners are interested, they can sign up to get our regular blog. Uh, it's all free. And um, and there may just be some things that, that you know, they can look at the, the back catalogue of, of materials that might be of interest to them. Um, mm-hmm. But there's always new content going on there. Okay, awesome. That's great. I should give the website address, shouldn't I? Uh, DisruptiveHR.com. Yes, but I will include it in the link um, in the comments later on for the podcast. So thank you so much for that. I do have one last question because I think we've talked around it a lot, but I just want to talk a little bit about agility in HR. What does that look like? So I think that for me, agility is, uh, it's not um, necessarily a formal agile product methodology, although I think we can learn from our, uh, particularly those organizations that have got a digital function, you know, um, getting them to come in and talk to us about agile, I think can be good. Mm-hmm. But I think it's more uh, about a mindset that, um, and, and what it looks like, because I'm always very practical, you know, I, I don't want to provide you just a framework, but what does it look like? It's things like, why do we have a three-year strategic plan for HR? Who knows? I used to have strategic plans, annual business plans that would have long lists of activities and priorities and used to make everybody feel exhausted and confused. Mm-hmm. But instead, what about actually having a kind of broad sense of direction of where you want to go to? Um, and I would choose um, experiences that you want your people to have, the feelings that you want them to have working for you. And then I would uh, uh, look at sprint planning, short six-week planning cycles where you take one or two products. I think it's helpful for us to think in product terms. Yeah and to put as much of your resource onto getting those products up, running, piloted, et cetera, mm-hmm. that you can. I think right. the second, so there's something around our planning cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that way we're able to be more responsive to changing needs. And I think that's going to be even more important in the future. Absolutely. Secondly, yeah. um, I think that we, we, we need to move away from the idea that it has to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, as an HR director, I would make sure everything was perfect before I launched it. So that would be um, scripts for managers, cascade plans. Um, I would have everything absolutely perfect. Then I would launch it as one big process across the whole organization all in one go. Right. Well, I, don't, you know, I think we're, 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 we're wasting a lot of energy then. So absolutely. failing fast, failing safe, mm-hmm. you know, creating an environment where you can pilot stuff, you can mm-hmm. experiment. And if it doesn't work, you drop it, you move on or you amend. Um, so this much more iterative process, the kind yeah. of minimum viable product concept that you yeah. see in Agile. Mm-hmm. And then I also think that Agile looks for me um, in terms of, you know, the way we market what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to be very formal and very, um, very professional, but very formal. And mm-hmm. to, if I'm honest, a bit boring and a bit dull. Yeah. And actually thinking about ways of, of uh, getting early adopters, looking at a rolling campaign, looking at small um, nudges to get people involved rather than it having to be a big 
uh, initiative or a big program. Yeah. And so I think agile um, is much more around those small nudges of behavior than mm-hmm. it is about a big initiative. And uh, certainly the work we do with clients, those small little nudges can be much more impactful and much more effective. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for that. My um, pleasure. When it comes to Agile, like I could talk about that all day because as it relates <laughs> to HR, like I feel we need, that's a key nugget for us is that we really need to become more Agile in our approach to how we do our work on a daily basis. And I think we're going to have to, right? You yes. know, we're all recognizing that the world is going to be going through a deep recession. How long it is, we don't know, no. but it's going to be painful. And that's going to mean cuts in HR budgets. Mm-hmm. It's going to mean that there's less investment for the big programs, less investment mm-hmm. for the big tech enterprise wide systems. So we're yes. going to have to think differently. And I don't think that's a bad thing. No, definitely not a bad thing. I really think that, like I said, out of this thing, lots of sadness, yes, but also out of this is going to come a lot of good things in terms of how organizations look at people holistically and how HR can add value and impact in, in a shorter space of time, but that really gives value to the people, no matter what level in the organization they are at. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. Tell the people what is next for Lucy Adams. <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, we started this before the crisis, so we'd already begun to move um, a lot of our activity onto our digital club, our online club, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I was traveling a lot. I was, you know, going to Mexico for a day, then coming back, and then going to Peru and you know, so a lot of travel, which obviously isn't happening. Yeah. And and our frustration was that we would go to these amazing places and meet hundreds, if not thousands, of HR professionals mm-hmm. that loved what we were talking about, who wanted to find out more and yet didn't know um, how to access what we do. And to be honest, right. we didn't have anything to offer them other than the book mm-hmm. um, or... Uh, um, a couple of other smaller products. So, so we'd uh, launched our disruptive HR club, our online club, right. uh, in November of last year. Okay. Uh, November 2019. Um, so we're putting a lot more effort into that because obviously it means that we can do things, we can reach more people across yeah. the world without the need for getting on a plane. Which, let's face it, isn't going to be happening anytime, anytime soon. Anytime soon, it's true. So we're putting. Um, more and more resources that we've got a thousand members on the club now which is fantastic wow, and, well and all over the world from some uh-huh. great companies so we're going to really focus on that the next thing as well is really exploring what this better normal looks like so we started to do sessions with hr leadership teams around what better normal looks like for them so they can yeah. take advantage of the uh this time so they don't just slip back into the old ways. Yeah. So I think this kind of better normal concept is something that we we really want to run with. And we've got uh-huh. a lot of uh, resources coming up, both on the club, but some on the website for free as well, yeah. which is going to be exploring what better normal looks like in, in the employee life cycle. Okay, that sounds really great. Oh, with that being said, Lucy Adams, you have survived your time in the sign booth today. Thank you so much for joining me and having this engaging discussion on why it is that HR needs to change. And I hope that our listeners really see the importance of taking an introspection as HR professionals and seeing if we can make some of those incremental changes now 
so that we will benefit the people in our organisation in the future. Thank you once Julie, again. Julie, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us in the sound booth today. I hope that you found this information from this episode useful. You can find me on all social media platforms at I am Julie Turney. That's I am Julie Turney. And you can find this episode or this show on most digital platforms, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, you name it, we're there. Thanks to Anchor FM and Rock Solid Entertainment for helping me to put this content together for you. And I will see you again when we next sound off.